Go ahead and get in your Bible to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. Great to have you today in our marriage class. Uh, we are getting about in the neighborhood of half uh, done with the class, just talking about issues that drastically uh, affect our marriages from a biblical perspective. And um, we've been talking about all kinds of things clearly and frankly. And um, that's why this class is not appropriate for people who aren't uh, either married or very close to getting married. In fact, today's subject is uh, especially uh, like that. We all have different backgrounds, different places in life, different reasons for being here. But we do share in common this desire uh, to have our marriage uh, be good, to have it be more pleasing to Christ, to have it be more like our Creator designed uh, marriage uh, to be, and I, I really, I commend you for investing uh, in it. Uh, by and large, people don't even ask the question, you know, what does God want from my marriage? And, and so I really commend you on even asking uh, the question because you're going farther than a lot of people uh, do. This morning, because of the uh, nature of uh, our subject, uh, I'm going to forego answering any questions I'm going to forgo those eight statements I normally uh, talk about uh, today. Uh, we're going to talk about subjects that's extremely difficult for me to talk about. Uh, and it's going to be extremely difficult for you to hear. Uh, but yet it is one of the great sources of disagreement and con conflict and dissatisfaction and frustration in our marriage. And uh, unfortunately, by and large, uh, churches and even families have left the physical relationship between a husband and wife undiscussed. Uh, and because churches haven't addressed it, uh, most people have all or most of their ideas about the physical relationship between a husband and wife, they, they've got them from inferior sources. And um, today we're just going to... Uh, talk about a biblical perspective on um, a husband and wife relationship. Uh, Genesis chapter 2, um, verse 21, says, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, a man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Uh, we've already talked about this section of, of Scripture before early on in the class, and, and basically this is the very first wedding uh, performed by God himself, the very first set of marriage vows uh, designed by God himself, and we see in these vows that God himself planned a special and unique physical relationship for a man and his wife. Uh, it's interesting, verse 25, it says they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were unashamed. Um, you know... <laughs> Believers are, are taught to be modest in, in public. Um, that's the New Testament teaching. Uh, the Bible also teaches that nakedness is a private thing uh, between a husband and a wife and nothing to be ashamed of. 
Uh, notice in the first set of vows in verse 24, it says they were both it says, therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And one flesh, that's a phrase in the Bible that, uh, that occurs seven times. Uh, six of those refer to a man and his wife. The seventh refers to a man and uh, a woman the Bible describes as a harlot, an immoral woman who is not his wife. And one flesh refers to the physical relationship between a husband and wife uh, and it also, by the way, it applies to the kind of oneness that God really wants and wants us to work toward in every area of our marriage, but specifically the physical relationship of the husband and his wife. So in a marriage ceremony uh, and in their commitment before God, a man and a woman became one spiritually uh, in marriage. And in the sexual union of a man and a woman, they become one flesh, whether they're married or not, according to 1 Corinthians 6.16. 6, See, in, in the eyes of God, marriage is more than just physical oneness. Uh, it is a man and a woman entering into a covenant before God with the intention to stay together for life. I mean, you may remember uh, in John chapter 4, Jesus is speaking to the woman from Samaria, and he says to her, Thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou hast is not thy husband. You know, listen, uh, the fact that she was with that man physically, it did not make him her husband. There, there is a spiritual oneness that comes in our marriage commitment, and there is a physical oneness, whether we're married or not. And uh, God, as we know, himself started marriage. Uh, God himself designed sex to be a part of a healthy marriage relationship between a husband and his own wife. Uh, again, Sex is not the invention of Satan. It is not the invention of a twisted culture. It is a part of God's design for our marriage. And it's a part of God's design that has been twisted by Satan and twisted by our culture to be something other than what our Creator intended. God, in desi God designed, anything He designed is always good. Always intended by God to be good for both husband and wife when it's handled rightly. Listen, if the physical relationship you have with your spouse is not good, then one or both of you are handling it wrongly. Anything God designed is intended to be good when we handle it right. Go in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 13. If you detect a lot of nervousness in, in my voice, it's real. Um, there's a reason churches don't talk about this stuff. And uh, it's incredibly awkward. But I, I, honestly, I, I would rather be very awkward. I, I want your homes to be good. I, I want your marriages to be good in, in every way our Creator designed. Uh, Hebrews 13.4 says these words, Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. But... Whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. <laughs> and though God did not intend sex to be public, <laughs> he intended it privately to bless both husbands and wives. Notice it's the marriage bed that's undefiled. Notice that it's sex outside the boundaries of marriage that God says he will judge. Whoremongers, someone who is just immoral and adulterous, someone who is immoral after the institution of marriage, says God will judge that. 
Now, if you're somebody who reads the Bible, one of the things you will notice is the Bible is actually a pretty bloody and, and violent book in some places, including the New Testament. Uh, and some of the violence is actually pretty graphic. I mean, you think about David uh, cutting off the head of Goliath and carrying it around. I mean, that, that's pretty, pretty graphic. But in contrast to that, the Bible is very subtle when it speaks about sexual issues other than the book of Song of Solomon. Uh, and, and probably, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, have you ever read the book of Song of Solomon? Uh, probably most people in here haven't even uh, read it, and it is actually, uh, a, first and foremost, it is an uh, ongoing relationship and conversation and situations between a husband and a wife. Now, I get it that it pictures Christ in the church, but that's secondary. First and foremost, it's about a husband and a wife. And though far more subtle uh, and private than violence, the, the Bible has a lot to say about human sexuality. I mean, the seventh of the ten basic commandments has to do with sex outside of marriage. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Uh, if we study the laws that God designed and gave to Israel under a theocracy, a government that God established, adultery, rape, and bestiality, they were all not only forbidden, they were punished with a death penalty. Uh, the Bible clearly makes a point of telling us that Mary was a virgin even though she was engaged and had already found the man with whom she was going to spend her life. First uh, Corinthians uh, says to flee fornication. Ephesians says that fornication should not be once named among you as becometh saints. See, fornication, when you read that word in the Bible, it is a uh, general word that refers to any kind of sexual sin. Uh, adultery is a kind of fornication. Fornication is any kind of sexual sin. And he said, flee fornication. He said, don't let it once be named among you as become a saint. Uh, Proverbs, if you take notes, write down chapter 5, verse 19. It says that a husband should be satisfied with his wife's body and, quote, ravished always with the physical affection of your own wife. Uh, the Bible very clearly condemns homosexuality and lesbianism. It describes it as unnatural affection. In the Bible, there's natural affection and there's unnatural affection. The Bible clearly describes that as unnatural affection. You say, what are those? Those are all just statements about human sexuality. See, sex between a man and woman is not a dirty act. It is originated with God and designed to be a private act between a husband and his own wife. See, part of the problem that husbands and wives have uh, in this issue is a mental one. Uh, a lot of people were taught as children that sex is a dirty thing instead of being taught that sex is a good thing within the boundary of marriage, it's private, not dirty. And when you've been taught all your life that it's a dirty thing, listen, you, you, know, you have this attitude in, in your head that you're going to have to work through. In fact, one of the most difficult transitions in marriage is this whole idea, if you were somebody who tried to remain sexually pure before marriage, is this whole idea of, I need to restrain and put down these desires to after you're married, just deciding, you know what, these desires between me and my spouse, they're healthy desires. And if you haven't read the book of Song of Solomon, you should read it. It's a very romantic book and a series of sensual encounters between a husband and a wife. 
um, I'm told that Jews don't let any men read it until they're 30. Uh, by the way, that is a reflection of Judaism being a reflection of Phariseeism. You, you know, whenever you have some preacher stand up or you read anywhere where the Jews are doing this, I mean, understand that by and large what they're telling you is Judaistic Phariseeism. That, that's what's going on. The Orthodox Jews, black hats, long curly th things, they are modern-day Pharisees. That's exactly w what they are. Um, <laughs> if people were to be taught right about that, wouldn't matter how old you are, uh, you shouldn't read that book, a young man should tell he's married. Uh, again, it's this whole idea. Is a physical relationship, is it dirty or is it private and healthy and good between a husband and a wife? And um, <laughs> nearly all books in the Bible in one way or another uh, talk about some sexual issue, mostly in the area of being pure. Now, like I said earlier, while the Bible is graphic about violence, it is not graphic or explicit about the details of sexual matters other than in those places I mentioned. Um, Genesis 4.1, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived. So what is that? That's a very gentle way of God subtly saying they were together physically. 1 Samuel 1.19, Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. Say, so what is that? That is a very gentle, subtle way of saying that they were together physically as husband and wife. And again, God doesn't do that because the human act between a husband and wife is dirty or bad. He does that because he intended it to be private within the boundaries of marriage. And by the way, this isn't a parenting class, uh, but what I would say to you is as a parent, I would handle those issues the same way as God handles them. I would be far less concerned about violence, though I think you should have some level of concern about that, and you should handle sexual things very subtly. It's where a father in heaven does it. Uh, and like always, uh, our God, he doesn't give us any of this stuff to oppress us. He understands that sin in any area of life, it brings pain. And there's people here, and, and if you could be honest and you would be honest, you, you know what you would say is, you know what, wherever I stepped outside of the boundaries God designed for my sexuality, it brought me pain in some way. I have no doubt. Uh, th there's a lot of you here, you look back on the way you handled yourself before your marriage, and you look back, and you have a lot of regrets. And you're afraid because someday your child is going to come and, and say to you, Mom, what did you do? Dad, what did you do? And, and what happens is, is when we mishandle things, there's a kind of a guilt that we bring in, in our brain uh, to, to the marriage bed that's not a good thing. Uh, a life of immorality and rebellion against God in the area of our sexuality it hurts us. How about the threat of STDs? How about immorality causing children to start life without a mom and a dad who love each other and who are committed to stay together? What about causing women to feel used and think that their only value is to please men sexually? Listen, immorality and violating God's rules for sexuality, they bring pain. Uh, what about the sexual abuse and perversion that has occurred because people have no respect for God's boundaries. 
What about enabling men to continue in their immaturity and selfishness and to be responsible because they're getting the advantages of being married without the responsibility of that commitment? By, by the way, violating God's rules in this, it makes people more like animals who have no boundaries for the most part. And worst of all, it separates us from the holy God who created us, who died for our sins, who desires us to have a close relationship. Listen, Hebrews 13, 4, marriage is un, uh, honorable in all and the bed undefiled, whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Listen, the moral standard of keeping sex within the boundary of marriage is really important. See, human sexuality is different. In uh, human sexuality, sex isn't just about reproduction. In almost all of the animal kingdom, if there is not the, the right hormonal stuff going on for reproduction in, in the female, she's not interested, neither, neither is he. Human sexuality isn't like that. God designed it to be different on purpose. Uh, I'm told human sexuality is the only face-to-face -face sexual relationship. Do you think all this is an accident? God made sex among his greatest creatures to be about more than just reproduction. It is very personable. It is very subtle. Adam knew Eve, his wife. And it's a big issue, and it's unfortunately mostly ignored. It's ignored in churches, ignored by Christians, ignored because of all the cultural abuses. Now, in your surveys, about 50% of men and 15% of women had negative feelings about sexual issues. That's zero to five. About 50% who turned in surveys rated your satisfaction with your physical relationship very high, seven to ten. Uh, and like I said, with every issue of this survey, a lot of it depends on which week you filled it out. You know, listen, uh, a life is filled, when you spend years with someone, I mean, life is filled when, when, when some, sometimes are tough, sometimes you're not healthy, sometimes all kinds of things are going on. Uh, listen, uh, don't lift your hand, but if you've ever been through a rough patch in your relationship with your spouse, you know, that, wouldn't, that, that would make you normal. And so depending on which week you filled this survey out, you, you, you know, take those numbers in, in light of that. And our physical relationship with our spouse, it's one of the four key areas where all of our conflicts in marriage occur. Uh, at the end of class, I've got these surveys I'll, I'll pass out. It's, it's from a book called The Act of Marriage. And um, basically, it's written by a couple that does uh, marriage uh, uh, retreats. And it's a survey of over 3,000 born-again Christians, about half men, half women. And um, it's just, to, excuse me, it's just there to help you. That's that survey, and this is basically what goes on um, in Christian relationships. And so what I wanted to spend the rest of our time doing is some suggestions for having a health sex life, healthy sex life within the boundaries of your marriage. Here's number one. Recognize sex within the boundary of, of marriage is ordained of God. God designed it to be enjoyable. He designed it to promote closeness and intimacy. 
Uh, if you've ever read Song of Solomon, I mean, one of the things you'll realize is, wow, you know, I don't know, you could read that publicly. But God put it in his word. Now, because of our culture, and in many cases our past, uh, some have a tough time thinking about sex as being healthy and good. Hear me when I say this. If you think wrongly about the physical relationship with your spouse, it will be a major obstacle to a good marriage. Someone years ago asked the question, how can you want to have sex? Uh, the answer to that question begins with an attitude change. Sex isn't dirty, it's not forbidden. There's no reason to ever feel guilty within the boundaries of marriage. It is not a low-priority drudgery designed to give in to after you've been badgered enough. It is a gift of God intended for pleasure in your most important earthly relationship. And honestly, like I said, Christians struggle uh, to change our attitude because of the attitude we had trying to be pure before marriage and because of everything that goes on in our culture. And if you were sexually active before your marriage, I mean, understand that whether you realize it or not, there's a part in your mind where you have a kind of a guilty conscience of this area in your life, and you really are going to have to get with what's going on in your mind and get God's forgiveness and help. About 50% of you who turned in a survey said you remained morally pure until your wedding night. Uh, you say, is that good? I wouldn't think so. Now, that doesn't mean everybody was saved or, or not before your wedding, but I wouldn't say. You know what it tells me? It tells me that too few people have a plan for being morally pure before they're married. That's what it tells me. I, I've had people come to me, uh, and I thank God for it. said, we'd like to be morally pure. How, wh how should we do that? Listen, there, there's a, if you just, by, by the way, I get it, everybody in this class has passed this point, but you will be in conversations. If you're ever in a conversation, here, here's what you say. You need one simple thing to be morally pure. Never be alone except for in public or in a moving car. If you keep that one simple thing, you're never going to do anything that bad. You, you want to help your kids? You want to help people in your family? People, that's a very simple thing. Never be alone except for in public or a moving car. Very simple. Here's number two. Uh, close up the gates of your sexual attraction to all except for your spouse. Go in your Bible to Matthew 5. Matthew 5. Brother Wally, are you going to be glad when this lesson is over? Yes. And I'll be even gladder next week after I finish answering questions related to this lesson. Number two, close up the gates of your sexual attraction to all others except your spouse. Matthew 5, verse 27 and 8. Jesus here says, You've heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already uh, in uh, their heart. Uh, if you're somebody who still thinks that Jesus made the standards lower than the Old Testament law, you don't understand Jesus. He raised them all from being just physical acts to things that are in our heart and mind. And here he talks about what's in our heart. Uh, true exclusivity isn't just 
that you're not with anyone else physically. Please decide that there's a part of your mind, a part of your heart, a part of your imagination, as well as your body that belongs only to your spouse. Uh, somebody in previous session turned in a question, well, I don't find my wife attractive anymore. You say, what's the answer to that question? Listen, you close up the gates of your sexual attraction to everyone other than your spouse, and if you're healthy at all, you will have a healthy attraction towards your spouse. There's a reason God said flee fornication. 1 Corinthians 6.18 2 Timothy 2.22, flee youthful lust. Listen, he could have said fight those things. He did that for other things. It will change everything in your house. Here's number three, suggestions for a healthy uh, sex life for marriage. Make your bedroom sacred and private. Uh, unfortunately, what I've learned over the years is most of y'all are going to blow this off. Uh, it is the marriage bed that is undefiled. Uh, don't let the kids sleep in your bed with you. Now, if they're a newborn, I still don't think you should, but eh. So what if they're sick? Go where they are. Make your marriage bed special. Um, make sure you have a good lock on your bedroom door. Teach your children to knock. By the way, uh, this will help both husband and wife have a better attitude. Somebody turned in the question, how do you get past being afraid? Your children will know when you're being infinite, uh, intimate. And the answer is in part, have your bedroom more sacred and more secure. Um, you know, we always kept our bedroom locked, our door closed. I remember one of our boys was barging in all the time as a teenager. I thought it would be funny. One time I just said to my listen, I said, you're going to barge in. You might see something you might not want to see. Never barges in again. <laughs> listen, this is a class of adults. Uh, uh, listen, Christianity is not some theology we throw on on Sunday morning for an hour. It is something that applies every day to our life. Make your bedroom sacred and private. And I wish you all would listen, but some of you won't. Uh, number four, fight the enemy of selfishness in your bedroom. Uh, selfishness has to do with personal hygiene. I mean, listen, why, 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 why are you stanky? Use some mouthwash. Take care of yourself. I mean, good golly. That's selfishness. Uh, selfishness produces a lack of effort and affection. Uh, being affectionate is a choice. Uh, uh, listen, uh, every guy here, you, you ought to be affectionate to your wife at times when there is absolutely no way that sex can be involved. You ought to tap her on the tush. Sometimes you walk by, you ought to come by and just hug her, kiss her in the back of the neck, and just keep on going. You, uh, listen, there's probably no way you'll ever live a married life and not have your wife say to you, all you're interested in me for is sex. You probably are not going to ever live your marriage and not have that said. But, but you ought to be able to live your life in such a way that there's very little truth to that. 1 Corinthians 7, and speaking of selfishness, did you know, really, it makes a big difference how you reject your spouse? 
I think basically all of us here understand how we feel pain when we're rejected. But I think somehow in this particular area of life, you know, we don't care if they feel pain of rejection. And that's an aspect of selfishness. Uh, this is speaking about sex here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning in verse 3, it says, Let the husbands render unto the wife due benevolence, and that's like an act of kindness, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. Notice how subtly and carefully God talks about these sexual things. Verse 4, The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband, and likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. It says, defraud ye not one another. That means to deprive of something that really belongs to them. Defraud ye not one another, except it be with consent for a time, that ye may give yourself to fasting and prayer. Come together again, lest Satan tempt you uh, not for your incontinency. And incontinency is uh, wrong kinds of lusts. Listen. Not making the right effort in this area of your marriage, understand it subjects your spouse to more of Satan's temptations. Now this whole admonition to be kind and generous with your affection and not hold back or deprive your spouse physically, it of course has to be balanced with the command for a husband to love and honor his wife. You say, Brother Wally, why do you say that? Because in probably 80 or 90% of relationships, the husband is more interested in that aspect of marriage than the wife is. And so some of you, oh man, you've just got in your attitude, good, she should never say no to me. No, what it really means is you need to be very careful when you are interested. Do you know sometimes she has bad days too? Sometimes she's tired. I, I get it. Most men feel like, hey, sex is a solution to everything. It's just not accurate. Any more than it's accurate that, you know, sex is only something you give in to after you're badgered. See, if you're being selfish, then everything's about your needs. And selfishness is a huge problem in a marriage and in our bedrooms. And somewhere in the middle of whichever one of you wants to be together more and whichever one of you wants to be together less, somewhere in the middle of that is probably where neither one of you are being selfish. Because your sex life isn't really about you. It's about meeting your spouse's needs and desires. Number five, have realistic expectations for your sex life. Uh, studies show that married couples actually are more satisfied with their sex life in general than unmarried people are who are sexually active. So what do you mean unrealistic expectations? The average man gets his expectations from pornography from watching actresses pretend. Uh, the average woman gets her expectations from romance novels and movies and childhood fantasies. And the thing that is, is reality is always different from imagination, but reality, when we're handling this area of our life, it's actually better for everyone than all this pretend stuff. And as you've heard me say many times in this class, don't expect your spouse to be another one of you. But in this area of marriage and life, this is especially true. There are very few places in, in life, and this is certainly one of them, where the natural general differences in, in men and women are more obvious. 
I've had people ask me, why, why, are, why are our differences so much in this? You know, have you ever really thought that maybe this combination of physicalness and emotional honesty and conversation and openness that God intended this, maybe this combination is actually good for us? Maybe the average uh, spouse, um, most often the wife, who doesn't want um, more uh, sex, and the average husband who doesn't want more conversation, you know, m maybe this is designed to help us all. The average man, unfortunately, thinks their wife is a refrigerator. And the reason you think that is because you got your expectations from actresses. And the average woman thinks her husband is an animal. I, I literally had a wife one time said, you know, I tried to get him to go to the doctor because he must have some hormonal uh, Im imbalance just because he wants to be with me every day. A and I, I said, you know, that's probably not a hormonal imbalance. I'm, I'm going to ask you a question, and I really do mean it. Have you ever tried to understand the sexuality of your spouse? See, see I, I, by and large, I don't think we do. And, and because we're only interested in our own sexuality, um, it doesn't help us. Uh, God made us obviously different in this area. Number six, suggestions for a healthy sex life. Read a couple of books to become more knowledgeable about your own body, your spouse's body, and sex within marriage. You know, again, very few people learned about this from any reliable sources, and certainly not biblical sources. What is normal sexuality for husband and wife? Why do I feel this way? Why doesn't that work? How's my spouse different from me? What makes them happy? There's a lot of guys, you walk around the house in your towel without your shirt, and you wonder why it doesn't turn your wife on. Maybe she's wired differently than you. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever tried to understand your spouse's sexuality? Um, there's some good books. Uh, two of them are in the library. All of them are available from Amazon.com. Uh, Every Man's Battle. Uh, I would suggest, wives, you read that, and you're going to read that and say, Ugh. Every Woman's Battle. I read it, and I thought to myself, that's stupid. Listen, you're going to go way farther in your relationship as soon as you get out of your mind that your spouse is just like you. Um, intended for pleasure. This is in our bookstore. It's got a little saran wrap around it. Um, it's a great book. Uh, now, uh, I recommend this to everybody who's getting married. You say, how many of them read it? Probably very few because most people think you're an expert on everything. Uh, now, it's got a lot of stuff in you, you you won't need. You know, you probably don't need sex after menopause. You may or may not need sex during pregnancy. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that's really basic because not everybody knows anything. And, and that, that's a good book. That's in our bookstore. Uh, this one here, Sheep Music. I would suggest this for every, uh, it's good for everybody, but this is especially good for ladies who grew up in church and had, uh, are, are trying to change your attitude. If you're somebody who just really struggles to, uh, you know, let yourself feel like this is good and healthy between me and my husband, th this is a good book for you. You, you know, mo most of us uh, find this area of life really hard to talk about. Uh, all I'm doing is talking about biblical things, and I'm really uncomfortable. 
And because we, we, we struggle to talk about this, because our culture has made it dirty in public, we struggle to shift this to be private and acceptable and good. And, you know, I, I would get those books. They're, they're good. And uh, you know what? Uh, if you don't get your information from a book, find someone who's older of the same gender and, and talk to them. Um, I think that's harder, but, you know, that would help you too. Uh, and lastly, number seven, a healthy sex life will not fix all the problems in your marriage or resolve every conflict, but it will help every marriage. Listen, God did not design anything that isn't ultimately for our good. It, you wouldn't be in this class if you didn't have some kind of a desire to have a good marriage. You, you wouldn't even be in here. You could have went to, to another class. Um, it, was, it was up front what this is about. And uh, so, so honestly, please just take this stuff seriously. Uh, God made sex within our marriage to be a healthy expression of our love our commitment, and a joy to share together. God made it personal. He made it private. He intended it to promote intimacy and conversation that we would otherwise avoid. And um, I'm glad I'm done. Uh, you should have uh, one of those little paper cards. Uh, put something on it. And... Uh, Fold it in half, drop it in the box up here, and God bless you. You're just dismissed. Yeah. Did I want to pass what out? Oh, yeah. I have one of these per, just one per couple. There's not one for everybody.